The following is presented to you in a round sound. It was recorded with whatever was lying around. Lady, don't take no shit. Insist on respect the sister. Walk around like a woman. She won't speak less of something worse. Singing, don't play. The girl take herself so seriously. People stare curiously. She's got a natural way. Her hips sway furiously. Yeah, the luxuriously. Hey, this is Lady Don't Take No, your weekly roundup of all of the real and none of the fake. I'm your host, Alicia Garza. This show is pro-Black, pro-queer, proudly feminist, and pro-do-what-you-like. Every week, you're going to get the best of what goes on in my head, what we loving on, and what we hating on, what we might be, and what we ain't going to do. Politics? Pop culture, how you should never, ever, ever shush a woman, but especially when she's in labor, we cover it all. This podcast is based in Oakland, California, the center of the known universe where we are dealing with Rona and reconstruction. It's a challenging time, a changing time. It's a time of transformation. It's all the things all the time nowadays, but we're going to help you understand the dynamics of this time every single week. So be sure to tune in, tell a friend, and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. We do it for the culture, so the pod is free 99, because we know that with a country in chaos, the least we could do is keep you from putting your money anywhere else than where it's needed. Our guest this week is a scholar of anti-Black racism, public policy, radical politics, and social movements. She has written three award-winning books, including Race for Profit, How Banks and the Real Estate Industry Undermined Black Homeownership. She's a contributing writer at The New Yorker and a MacArthur genius. And we're happy that she's contributing to our podcast today. So please, please, please welcome Kianga Taylor. Welcome. Hey, how you doing? I'm good. How you doing? I'm good. Very glad to be here with you. Oh, I'm so stoked to have you here on this platform. I know we've done a ton of things together through Black to the Future Action Fund. We've done some talks together. We've mm-hmm. had some conversations, but we've never gotten to be on the pod together. So let's just jump in. Let's do it. Listen, Kianga, look, look, look. It's the end of the year. You know, we're about two weeks out at this point, two and a half, maybe if I'm being generous. Um, we are still in a fucking pandemic. The Rona has cousins and she has brought her family to dinner. All the uncles, the aunties, you know, all of them. She just everybody in the mix. So I just got to ask you, what has your pandemic life been like? I mean, shit, at this point, it's almost been two years. Have you developed any unique habits live and direct from Miss Rona? Um, I always hate to talk about this because it sounds ridiculous and given all of the the misery that has been created by this pandemic. But for me, it's been really an important time to kind of get my life back together Mm. Um, before this. So really from 2016 to the fall of 2019, when my last book came out, I was on a never-ending book tour. Um, By the end... Race for Profit came out in October of 2019. 
And from October 2019, really until March 6th, that was my last event in um, Austin, Texas. I was traveling two or three days a week. Um, It was, I had done like 40 book talks during that time. I was in and out, in and out, in and out. And, you know, in the pandemic, um, really for the first time since 2016, when my first book came out, forced me to stop. You know, and that was that was necessary. I have a five year old, you know, right. and it really forced me to to. I mean, it didn't force me to be home. I like being home, but you know, like <laughs> yeah. not going to the airport, not traveling. I mean, eventually people figured out the Zoom thing, yeah. you know, and <laughs> they're like, "We'll bring the travel to you." <laughs> it's a different kind of intrusion, uh-huh, you know, uh-huh. but. It's, you know, it's easier to just turn your computer off and, you know, go downstairs and have dinner. So that part has been good. I think that the trauma of dealing with crazy family members, you know, who don't get vaccinated or who you have to talk into getting vaccinated. I mean, that has created its own level of stress. People who, you know, act as if nothing's going on and having birthday parties for 80-year-olds, you know, uh-uh. Uh-uh. <laughs> with uh-uh. like uh-uh. a third of the people aren't vaccinated. And, you, uh-uh. and then uh-uh. people think that you're crazy because you're not coming and, you know, bringing your kids. So the social part has been awkward and weird, but I have enjoyed being at home. I've enjoyed being with my family. I've enjoyed taking walks in and around my neighborhood. So I think those are probably the the habits that I had to kind of establish. And the, you know, the virus forced me to stop at an important point. Oh, I love that. Look, when this whole thing first started, it was crucial. Like people were trying to go to the grocery store. The shelves were empty. There was no toilet paper. There were no paper towels. So people started like getting into apocalypse mode. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know people were like baking bread from scratch and planting gardens are there any new skills that Miss Rona gave you? So I'm a kind of a Luddite. I, I lack in many, many skills, but, <laughs> you know, my wife was making, what was it? The, the, during the, the first week of this, hand sanitizer. Oh, shit. Right? Because there was a run on hand sanitizer along with the toilet paper. And, <laughs> oh, shit. And so she was going around. Uh, what was to she all using, of these, gin, Everclear, no, or vodka? She found rubbing alcohol <laughs> oh, at shit. the black hair yes. bonanza in Philly. So it's yes. it's like this supermarket for black hair care products. <laughs> and it was the only place that all the white people hadn't figured out to raid to get all of the rubbing alcohol. Oh, so God, it's a store so owned by this Korean family. And they had the rubbing, <laughs> rubbing alcohol that no no one else had figured out was located oh God, in this Philadelphia. Is so funny. So she bought the rubbing alcohol and downloaded some thing on YouTube about how to make hand sanitizer. So I think the the one thing <laughs> that I really got into, I mean, I like to cook. I cook anyway, but I really started to get my kind of year-round barbecue game, you know, perfected. So, Oh, I like that. In the winter, in the spring, in the fall, you know, I had the charcoals uh, okay. going. But the, the, the baking, the bread, I, I did not have the patience. Uh, <laughs> I did not have the patience for this, but 
hand sanitizer and barbecue. I'm feeling this. So are you a dry rub barbecuer or are you a like basic salt, pepper, you know, garlic powder kind of? So I'm from Texas. So it's always salt and pepper, you know. Okay. Okay. Maybe sometimes garlic powder, but the 46 spices, do you see the... The, the folks on, on the Food Channel, you're like, what is going on here? Not White necessary. sugar, brown sugar, allspice, <laughs> and the nutmeg? No. Is it called, like, you actually just don't really like the taste of meat, so you're just covering it with a bunch of shit? <laughs> Do you see these these clips on, on Instagram sometimes? It's like the home chef with totally. the 27 spices. Totally. totally. <laughs> Lemon pepper. Lowry's. Yeah. Uh, uh. Oregano. It's like, yeah, what there is, is the such a thing as overdoing it. Here? Correct. I feel like, okay, and people are going to get fucking mad at me for saying this, but I'll give a fuck. I feel like dry rub can sometimes be the equivalent of like an A1 steak sauce. It's just not fucking yes. necessary. <laughs> now, if the meat is hella dry, you know what I mean? And it needs a little flavor. Okay, fine. Then you dip it in a sauce. But like, you don't really need all that stuff. Or you it's don't just... overcook it. Yeah, it's dry exactly. because you fucked it up. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You know, I feel like I always hear people pronouncing your name all kinds of ways. So it's Kianga. Okay, people, can you hear yeah. me? Is there a story behind your name? It's such an interesting name. Okay, but one thing about the mispronunciation. So back in the way far away day, when we made collect calls, you know, um, I think I was nine. I was calling my mom. Oh, I was uh-huh. staying with my dad in Columbus, Ohio. I was calling my mom in Dallas. and you know, I call the operator. So the operator calls my mother, says, you have a collect call from commando. Uh-uh. No. <laughs> so that, that, was, that was kind of the worst uh, brutalization oh, um, of my name. Does that name carry with you today? Commando? No. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, not, not exactly. Okay good. okay, good. Okay, good. So my, my dad... Um, made up my name as apparently many black parents in the 1970s did. Mm-hmm. And he kind of invented his own story. And mm. my mom died in um, 1997. And mm, when I was going through her stuff, I found a notebook where she and my father had worked out what my name would be. And so I spent, I think, maybe a week without a name. And, you know, they were working out the syllables. And then my my dad was in, you know, some left group at the time. I think it was like the Black Workers Congress, which was an affiliate oh, nice. of the um, this umbrella of Black organizations, mostly out of the Midwest, the League of Revolutionary Black Workers. Yep, and yep. so he worked out a little manifesto paragraph that oh, my name, Kianga <laughs> Yamato, was a coming together of East and West and nice. the Marxist-Leninist dialectical something. Yes. <laughs> Come so, through. Yes, exactly. The dialectical, so, historical materialism. Yeah, it was all, it was me, yes. my mother, my older brother, and the dog, Malik. <laughs> oh, shit, so, the dog. It, it was the... 
the Taylor Collective, he called it. (laughs) (laughs) Everybody was at the party. I know. Shit, the dog too. You know, whenever I'm trying to take stock of what the fuck is going on politically in this country, there are just like a few people that I always want to tap. And you are one of those people. So here we are. We're at the end of 2021. These are days that we thought would never come. And then, of course, there are also days that we kind of hope don't come because we're busy finishing up the last of the things. And there's always more on the list of things to do than there are days to do them. But can we take a minute now and take stock of what's happening on the political landscape? So in 2020, we kicked the devil out of the White House. Mm -hmm. And some would say in favor of, you know, the spawn. I don't know. I mean, people could talk about it a lot of ways. And by we, I mean Black voters leading a multiracial coalition. Mm -hmm. In 2021, we scrambled to wield that power in such a way where the White House felt accountable to it. And at the time of this recording, we're still without a voting rights bill, a police reform bill, an infrastructure bill that's been adopted by the Senate and signed by the president. I mean, what does this all mean? And dude is going about to start making us repay student loans. Oh, yeah. Oh, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So what do we think this means for the upcoming midterm elections? Um. <laughs> So, first of all, thank you for the the kind words about politics. Um, I appreciate that. Um, I think there's there's a huge problem, and and it's it's complicated because I think that sometimes it's easy to, uh, and this happens on the left a lot, right? Oh, it's the do nothing Democrats, and you know Joe Biden is we were sold a bill of goods and he didn't do anything, right. and it's right. and it's actually not true. That's right. right. <laughs> I mean, I think that it's important to acknowledge that because one, that's about the power of social movements, right? I mean, mm-hmm. Joe Biden did a total 180 from candidate Joe Biden, who was running in the Democratic Party primaries in the fall of 2019. And by the time the November election came around in 2020, what he actually had to run on, uh, which was a series of promises to deliver the goods in the face of the pandemic, but also in response to the social movements that erupted out of the the twin forces of the pandemic and the movement against police brutality and racism. And in order to secure voters um, the vote in Georgia in order to win the Senate. So uh, there was a, a sea change in what Biden had to say and how he responded to those. The problem, and and it meant that when the uh, American Rescue Act was passed in March of 2021, once Biden was in office, in some ways it was historic. It was the largest domestic spending bill really since the big liberal reforms of the 1960s. So like the war on poverty uh, and the great society. The problem, though, is that both Democrats and Republicans spent the previous 45 years Come on. gutting the social safety net, uh, degrading the role of government and the lives of ordinary people so that the deficit and the hole that was dug as a result of that, that had been exposed by the pandemic, was so deep that even with these kinds of historic interventions championed by the Democrats, it hasn't been enough. And so 
not only was it not enough, but in the meantime, the Republicans were orchestrating uh, a backlash organized around the stupidity of critical race theory and uh, defund the police and all of this kinds of nonsense that the press, of course, runs with, right? Like for all of the kind of liberal outrage about Donald Trump, the mass media in this country loved Donald Trump because every day it was a shit show. Every day it gave them, you know, some circus to be completely engaged with. And so mm-hmm. compared to that, Biden and the, 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 the new administration compared to that, um, this is kind of boring and not really much to, to talk about. So they, right. they gave air to this idiocy, which dramatically kind of overpowered any sense of uh, the reforms that were being passed, any sense of, you know, certainly the historic nature of some of this. Now, the problem, as I said, is it hasn't been enough. And so that means while, you know, Biden and the Democrats uh, are upset that they're not getting mm-hmm. credit for what is being passed, you know, it's not enough. It's not enough to to really get people out of the crisis that is not only the, the new crisis created by the pandemic, but is laid upon uh, the existing crisis that has been built up over the last previous decades. And so not only is there more that has to be done, but then on some of the bigger political, uh, big ticket, not necessarily spending, but political issues, they have been a failure, right? Mm -hmm. The filibuster issue Mm -hmm. is a disaster. Mm -hmm. Not passing voter reform as the Republicans openly, openly conspire to steal people's right to vote. And meanwhile, I mean, this is this is always what is so confounding to me is that the Republicans have no compunction at all about lying, cheating, stealing to stay in power. And then you have the Democrats who are just so consumed with what the rules are. And, and are we doing it the right way? And oh, no, the rules say we can't do X, Y, or Z. And meanwhile, these people have have jacked everything. That's right. And you're sitting over here worried about, like, the rules and the protocol and, you know, this kind of fake morality around these particular issues. And, you know, there's a whole other slew of things where they do whatever they want. You know, and then there's, you know, other kinds, the art of politics, well, here's not here's the inartfulness of politics mm. that in the midst of the, the issues with inflation and, and the ways that food, rent, gasoline are just completely spiraling out of control and costs, the Biden administration decides now is the time to resume student loan payments, right? Mm. Going into the midterm election year of 2022. Mm-hmm. This is insane. And so I think politically, unless, and it's a long time and and things are very volatile uh, in this country. And so things, you know, can change, but it feels like they are setting themselves up for a, a kind of depressed turnout. And so we saw flashes of that and it's hard. You can't overly generalize from, two big state elections, so Virginia Mm -hmm. um, and New Jersey. 
Uh, it's hard to generalize from that. But what we can say, based on what we saw there, is that Republicans are extraordinarily motivated because they actually see there is an agenda and there are people, it appears that people are fighting for something that they believe in and their base is juiced. And then on the other side, you see either in like New Jersey, the turnout was very depressed. In, In Virginia, it wasn't necessarily depressed. It was higher than it had been in 2017, but it wasn't enough. That's right. And so it maintained the status quo, but reflects no excitement. And so we always talk about this with the Democrats, right? The enthusiasm gap and the idea that are you voting for something or are you just voting against something? And so this idea that you can just continue to run against Trump forever, I don't know. That is, is that what's going to get people motivated and out? Or do you actually have to not just promise things because the Democrats have been promising us everything for two generations? Are you going to deliver? And now is the time where you show that you can deliver and they're not getting it done. I'm really glad that you talked about you know, this dichotomy between Republicans really going after power and changing rules, right? They are like, look, we are orchestrating a new society where you motherfuckers don't get shit. (laughs) That's how I see it. And then Democrats are like, we are about procedure, decorum, and protocol. And we want to uphold procedure, decorum, and protocol. Meanwhile, everything is on fucking fire. Let me give an example. Over the last five years, we have seen, um, and you talked about this a little bit just now, a resurgence in the white nationalist movement. And in fact, former President Trump ushered them above ground. Okay. And now, correct me if I'm wrong, now it seems like we're getting this like quicksand type action on shutting this shit down once and for all. Am I imagining things here or does it seem like we're still trying to convince Congress and this administration that this is an actual threat, not just like for elections 2024, but like for democracy. Like it's actually a big deal that we have unabashed, open white nationalists in Congress, in state legislatures. Um, The vigilante thing is a problem, but the Mm -hmm. bigger issue I think is that we have white nationalists making laws. (laughs) It's like, am I tripping here? It's, it's wild. Bizarre. This this faction of white nationalists, sometimes openly racist, other times mm-hmm. coyly racist, uh, that mm-hmm. operate freely within Congress is is frightening. And the fact that they are allowed to um, harass and terrorize someone like Ilan Omar and mm-hmm. you know Ocasio Cortez also, yep. for that matter, yep. um, is unconscionable. And we, you know, right. you, you know, you absolutely know if we had two congressmen from the Black Panthers who Come were on. going around harassing at, at the, their office door uh, white women in, in Congress, that the National Guard would be mobilized, that they would be dealing with much more than um, metal detectors 
uh, in Congress, and that they would ultimately be shut down. And so they allowed this atmosphere to exist. And it just, it shows that there is a bizarre disconnect, not just in, in with, I mean, with it, it exists with the Democrats, but in our, among our elected representatives. This is the mm-hmm. seat of government. This is where decisions are made that affect hundreds of millions of people in this country. And this kind of circus that in many ways, you know, Congress is always polled around the same as cockroaches and lice. And, and you know, there, there's something that was established in the 1970s called the Cynicism Index. And, and mm-hmm. Congress polled ex- exceedingly high among that. But there does seem to be that something with the Trump administration helped to unleash what had been some sort of restraint, um, that that is gone. And now there is a kind of race to one-up each other in terms of their outrageousness. And who knows where that can lend itself or where that can lead. But then you have with the, the Democratic Party, its leadership and unwillingness to confront that because they have bought into the idea that that's a distraction, that we that's need right. to be focused um, on politics. And they miss how what they see as a distraction is fuel. This is the juice for the Republican right. base. Like, this is what they think is what it looks like to fight for something. It means That's fighting right. some of the individuals in Congress. And this is what the perception that they have an edge, uh, that it lends itself to that. And so I That's think right. this is all part of a deep political problem that they have, that the party as a whole have. But I do also think, and I don't, I don't know what to do about this, but I do think it raises big questions about what the squad, for example, what happens to them when they are enveloped within this organization. The the party itself, which is hostile to their presence and which they must expend so much energy defending themselves or defending baseline ideas that actually resonate with the with with the entire base right because you guys the black to the future lab right the mm-hmm. the polling that you have done seem to show that the politics is espoused by the squad are yeah. politics that resonate with That's black right. people and these aren't polls of 50 people you know nope. these nbc polls thousand, of 250 is, people yeah this is right? 1000 black adults <laughs> yeah that we regularly talk to in addition to the 30,000 black people we talk to in all 50 right. states across the country so th- this is comprehensive polling so no one's talking out of their ass that's right and <laughs> and there's just such Basically. a disconnect between what what they talk about, what they argue, and the tentative, cautious, afraid to rock the boat leadership of the party, even in the aftermath of 2020, right? When it showed that actually you can make bold policy choices, you can do unprecedented things, and it doesn't make you unpopular, Joe Biden. That was at the height 
of your popularity. And now, while you're dithering and doing nothing, (laughs) your poll numbers have sunk. Imagine making that connection. Speaking of politics, and I know I, I, I'm an asshole for asking this question towards the end of our conversation, but I have to do it because let's do it. We have to talk about the 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 boogeymen that this conservative movement has been organizing people around, mm. and that actually, in some ways, um, one big mistake I think the left makes sometimes is we either tiptoe away from our politics. Or we like double down like a bull in a china shop, and it's actually about <laughs> finding the right tool, <laughs> right, mm-hmm. for the right job. So I want to have a real honest to God conversation about socialism. Mm. Because like Black Lives Matter, socialism has become the way that conservatives are rallying their base against anything meaningful happening in our economy and our society. And this is to everybody's detriment. And people talk about how they don't want socialism, right? All kinds of people, Black people be like, I'm not down for socialism, but what I do want, and you're like, wait a minute, but that is actually, <laughs> that is actually socialism. So, so people talk about how they don't want it, but I don't think, pe- I feel like I- I'm a big proponent of words mean things, and I think you should know what they mean before you're for them or against them. So can we just shed some quick light on this? Like, what actually is socialism? And is it all the like boogeyman that it's been trumped up to be? I mean, for me, no. First of all, no, socialism is not the devil. It's not coming for your kids. It's not coming for your <laughs> wife. You know, <laughs> socialism is really about a couple of things. One is that, for me at least, it's the idea that ordinary people, working class people, create the wealth in this society through their capacity and ability to work. And they ought to therefore have some control and say over how that wealth is distributed, as opposed to the way it is now, where we have a Congress composed of the the Senate, I think, are all millionaires. Uh The uh, House of Representatives, I think, it is skewed because there, there are several millionaires, but there's also some poor black people, uh, That's right. you know, who have no wealth um, and just make their salary. But on average, it's like, you know, I think the average wealth is something like $990,000. So That's we right. have a Congress made up of predominantly white male millionaires making decisions about what happens to the other 330 million people in this country. Mm -hmm. And it literally means you have people who are clueless about (laughs) the decisions that most people uh, have to make on a daily basis about their lives, whether it is how to pay rent, how to pay your mortgage, prescriptions, like all these basic things. You have a Congress full of people who have no clue what it is like to have to make those choices, making decisions Um, about how regular people adjust to that. And so socialism is the opposite of that. It is about those who make the wealth, making the decisions about how the wealth is distributed and really how society functions. So that's one part. The other part is that there are things that we should be guaranteed in life because we are human beings. 
That includes housing. It includes healthcare. It includes water. It includes food. And I would say it includes education. If we have determined as a species that education is actually important to human development, then why are we charging money for it? And the same thing could be said of food. Why is there a grocery store that we must go to and give money in order to get food back? Food is necessary for the human race to perpetuate itself. And the fact is, is that there is enough. Socialism ultimately is about taking the wealth that exists in society and putting it towards the needs of people. It is putting it towards human development and not human destruction. And so when we can give the Pentagon almost $1 trillion, right? They have a budget of $788 billion or something like that. And yet we have such enormous deprivation in this country. We have millions of people who do not know how they're going to pay their rent or any number of bills. That is an obscenity. The amount of money that we spend on an annual basis on policing, policing the criminal justice system, this is what the defund the police movement is about, that we know is willfully distorted, not just by the right, right, but by the, the, the leadership of the Democratic Party. It is about saying that policing and the criminal justice system itself is a failed strategy. They admit it themselves. You've got the police chief in in L.A. saying, don't come to L.A. because it's not safe. Oh, really? You guys get tens of millions of dollars a year? And you are saying yourself it's not safe. Y'all got tanks and shit and you ain't safe? I know. So (laughs) it's about redistributing society's wealth towards making people's lives better and not investing in the human destruction of war, imprisonment, incarceration, and, and, and capitalism itself. It's not just, oh, capitalism is, is terrible because we hate capitalism. You know, it's about how resources are hoarded by a small number of people. It's about the false scarcity that is created in our society so that people think that, well, we just don't have enough. You know, we don't have enough for everybody to get health care. You know, there's just not enough. Of course there's enough. But being enough, providing enough, those are political decisions. Those are moral decisions as to whether or not we have enough. And so to me, that's, that's what socialism is about. It's taking the reins of society out of the hands of the small clique of wealthy and powerful people and putting it in the hands of most of us and saying that, you know, every cook can govern. Every bartender can govern. Every bus driver can govern. We don't need some class of rich elites mediating the process for us. We know how society actually operates and functions. To me, that's what it's about. Just like that, it's time for our weekly roundup of all the things Lady just ain't gonna do this week. Number one, 
tornadoes, climate change, and capitalism's deadly mix. A devastating tornado touched down in Kentucky this week with incredible damage and destruction. 76 people dead. 12 were children. The ages of those who were killed spans from age 2 to age 98. More than 1,000 buildings and homes were destroyed. In one community, 75% of the housing was destroyed. Now, as of this recording, more than 3,000 people are still without power, and that's down from more than 22,000. This storm affected more than 224 miles, which makes it one of the largest, if not the largest, storm in history. To date, FEMA has distributed over $550 million in aid. These kinds of tornadoes in December in Kentucky are extremely rare. And this, dear listeners, is the impact in real time of climate change. Stronger and more dangerous storms. But as if this was not fucked up enough, there's more. An Amazon warehouse stayed open and forced workers to continue to work alongside this dangerous storm. And as a result, six workers died. The company failed to cease operations until it was too late. There is a price to getting your goods overnight or the same day or even within two days. These corporations place productivity and profit over human life, as we've talked about on this podcast before. And the results are deadly. Just think about all those families who will have an empty seat at the dinner table. We'll keep you updated, dear ones, as more details become available. But suffice it to say that capitalism drives the crisis of climate change. When you place profits over people, you get deadly storms and disposable workers. Don't believe me? Just ask Kentucky. Other things Lady Just Ain't Gonna Do this week is lose our griots. So Bell Hooks is dead at the age of 69. The notorious and illustrious feminist theorist who died after an illness, according to a press release distributed by her family. All of Lady's timelines have been awash with grief, disbelief, and beautiful tributes to the many ways in which Hooks has shaped our lives. No roundup could possibly capture the impact that Bell Hooks has had on my life. She gave me language to describe how it is that we learned to hate ourselves, how our lives have been shaped by systems determined to break our spirits, our connections, and our hearts. These last few years have been marked by so much loss. But for today, dear ones, while Lady don't like losing our griots, Lady does love everything Bell Hooks has given us that reminds us of the infinite possibilities for freedom. So thank you, dear one. Rest well, and thank you for being one of our greatest teachers. Other things Lady just ain't gonna do this week is having the clock tick on voting rights and infrastructure. Well, dear ones, we're still hurtling towards winter break for Congress, and we have no progress on infrastructure and no progress on voting rights. And despite the rhetoric coming from the White House about being hopeful that a deal can be reached before Congress goes on vacation, it's unclear how that happens with Manchin and Cinema at the table blocking progress. Meanwhile, students from the University of Arizona and Arizona State University, Arizona being Kristen Cinema's home state, they have waged a hunger strike and are on day 13 of said strike at the time of this recording to pressure their representative to pass the Freedom to Vote Act. The organization who has organized this hunger strike is called Unpack, 
So go to unpack.org right now and make a donation to these brave young people who are helping to save our democracy. And don't forget to make your calls to Congress. Nobody should go home for the holidays without voting rights and infrastructure. If you don't know who your senator is or you don't know how to contact them, visit our Electoral Action Center at blackfutureslab.org. Now let's move on to the things that Lady loves this week. Number one, sex in the city. Okay, so the verdict is in. I'm never going to stop calling it Sex in the City, but the show is called And Just Like That, and it's the reboot of my most favorite and the most garbage television show in my repertoire. And that is actually saying a lot because Lady loves her some trashy-ass TV. So last week, Lady was talking about this reboot and feeling nervous about it. And after taking an entire day on Saturday to lay horizontal and catch up on all my favorite shows, the verdict is indeed in. It's worth watching, but get ready to cry some thug tears in the very first episode. So it's true, the show is still trash, but it now has updated itself to our generation. There are now black people in the show, still as side characters that haven't been developed, but you know, some things never change. There's a non-binary character played by the legendary Sara Ramirez, and I'm feeling their character, and I one day want more depth from that, too, because they're giving us a lot of word soup with no character development or meaning-making. Now, the pros, however, is that we are revisiting some of the classic storylines from the show. For example, this week's episode, we go back to Natasha, who was the model that Big married when he moved to Paris for work and left Carrie brokenhearted only to return to the States and fall into an affair with Carrie because, duh, they loved each other. Why were they even fronting like they didn't love each other? But anyways, child. Miranda and Steve are on the rocks again, and it's looking like not only is Miranda a functional alcoholic, she might also be a lesbian? Woo! I did not fucking see that one coming. And Charlotte, I mean, it's looking like her kid is trans. Oh, and then, of course, there's the fashion. So, ladies' verdict? We'll allow it. Tune in on HBO Max and sound off. Is you in or is you out? Other things Lady just loves this week is holiday break. Y'all, it is a real thing. I can see the light at the end of the tunnel. And as of this recording, Lady is about to be on vacation, on holiday, for three glorious weeks. But don't you worry. You will still get your fresh episode of Lady Don't Take No every Friday. But every other day but Friday, Lady is going to be planning her cross-country move to Atlanta but also more than likely laying horizontal on the couch watching reruns of Sex and the City. It's one of my favorite activities. Basically, I start the series from season one, episode one, and I take it all the way through season six. And sometimes I even take on the two movies if I'm feeling extra nostalgic. So reading books, I'm going to be reading like the one my dear friend Sarah gifted me from Samantha Irby, who's also a writer on the reboot called We Will Never Meet in Person. Now, y'all, where has Samantha Irby been all my life? I feel salty that none of y'all told me. I'll be purging the last room in my house that never really got its due after my split from my ex. I'll be cooking delicious meals and staring into space without opening a computer. Oh, and then there's my 41st birthday coming up, which we will just call 40 Wonderful. Holiday, take me away. Other things Lady loves this week is the new season of Claws. So it debuts this Sunday, and Lady cannot wait. Join me and catch the first episode. Let's see where this final season takes us, shall we? 
I might just need to spend Saturday going back to the previous season. I mean, I need to get it straight with Roller and Uncle Daddy and all the drama so I'll be fresh to death when the new season comes out. <laughs> Other things Lady loves this week is Jennifer Esteen running for California State Assembly. Now, this week, Lady had the great fortune of hosting a fundraiser for Jennifer Esteen, mother, nurse, black, queer, Jewish, and fierce organizer running for California State Assembly District 20, which is basically San Leandro, Castro Valley, Alameda, Fairview, Hayward, Dublin, Pleasanton, Union City, and San Lorenzo. Now, we had a lovely time, all masked up, and I'm proud to support someone with good politics and a plan to get things done. But don't take my word for it. Check out her yourself and visit jenniferesteen.com to learn more about this powerhouse of a human. And let's send a black, queer, Jewish mama nurse with a proven track record of getting things done for us to the California State Legislature. So this week, y'all, we raised about $5,000 and we need to raise $10,000 by December 31. Can you help? They're already on the phones calling voters and they'll be moving soon to door knocking, which I can tell you it's not cheap. So if and when you donate, please indicate that you heard about Jennifer on Lady Don't Take No. Y'all are the best and Lady appreciates you. I'm going to ask you is to talk to us about any new projects that you have coming up so that we can look forward to them in 2022 because the way these midterm elections are set up, I feel like I'm going to need some damn inspiration. So I'm working on a couple of book projects. I'm working on, you know, something that looks at the, the first generation of us who came of age after the civil rights movement. Just to look at that period of the, the 1980s and 1990s to see what happened. What happened to the promise of the civil rights struggles of the late 1960s that culminate, you know, in the 1980s with the war on drugs and that explode in 1992 uh, with the rebellion in L.A., but that is largely unrealized. Um, I just really like working on both looking at, at history and what it tells us about the world that we live in and what are the continuities, but also what are the, the changes and how do we make sense of that? And how do we use that as people who care about the world to, to keep pushing to, to transform things? Mm. Well, I am certainly looking forward to that. I don't care how long it takes you. We need it. <laughs> so, Kianga, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. We really appreciate you. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. That's it for Lady Don't Take No. But I will be back here every single Friday morning to accompany you where there's a damn good chance you might be commuting again. We appreciate you joining us. And please, let's keep the conversation going. Tell us what's on your mind. Tell us what you like. And tell us what you ain't going to take no more of. On Twitter, we're at Lady Take. On Insta, we're at Lady Don't Take No Pod. We're also on Meta or Facebook or whatever the fuck. I don't know. I don't, I don't get it anymore. But we're there at Lady Don't Take No Podcast by Alicia Garza. We post ways to do something about things you hear on this show all over our social media. So 
If we got you amped up today, check out the socials to find out how you can take action. Please give a special shout out to Jahari Farrar for making sure the people get what they need from our socials. We appreciate you. Please subscribe and write us a review and let the people know what you've heard here today. Our producer is Phil Circus. Our incredible theme is Bilaterix. And this pod is supported by the Black Futures Lab. And me, I'm your host, Alicia Garza. Remember, climate change and capitalism are always a deadly mix. Your representatives in Congress ain't got no goddamn business going home until we have voting rights and infrastructure for the holidays. And you should call them and let them know as much. It's trashy TV season and Lady is here for every last bit of it. And rest in power to our dear sister, Bell Hooks. That's right. I said it. Because Lady Don't Take No. Lady don't take no shit. Insist on respect the sister. Walk around like a woman. She won't speak less of something worse. Saying don't play. The girl take herself so seriously. People stare curiously. She got a natural way. Her hips sway furiously. Let her luxurious. Love y'all.